Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. Sophie has gone through my script and added exclamation points at the end of the sentences. Who am I to doubt the wisdom of Sophie? Uh, Today. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually something I would, in fact, do. I love an exclamation point. (laughs) Don't reserve for the ends of sentences, though. Beginnings, middles, midway through a word. I think just everywhere. I once got told, I once got told I used too many exclamation points in emails. And, um... That fucked with younger me, and now I'm like, fuck you, seven exclamation points. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's like a good like power move of like doing the thing that you're getting told you shouldn't do because it's feminized, mm-hmm. which is like showing excitement in emails is like feminized, and in a business environment, you're never supposed to show any kind of weakness or femininity. But nothing says, I have fucking power, like continuing to do yeah. that, mm. being like, I'm actually, it's like, it's like sometimes when people are like trying to pick on me, I'm like, oh, here's where I'm vulnerable. And I like show them my belly because I'm like, because I'm not, because you can't hurt me. Yeah. Like, come so, from my belly and I'll grab you with my claws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so fuck you. This is cool people who did cool stuff. And you are yeah. Margaret fucking Killjoy. Yeah. And my guest today is Hugh fucking Ryan. Yeah. Damn straight. <laughs> could be a gay joke. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> Magnify. Uh, what? <laughs> All right. Hi, Hugh. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Glad to be back. Yay. On this totally separate day. Uh-huh. It's not still raining. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Sophie is our producer. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Magpie. Ian does our audio engineering on Woman Wrote Our Theme Song. So if you haven't listened to part one, I don't know what to tell you. I spent an entire episode trying to give you the context, and here you are. Just skipping it. It makes me feel like my work isn't appreciated by you, listener. How dare you people? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to like really disappoint us. I I hope you're pausing right now, thinking about what you did and going back to listen to episode one. I really think you should. So in short, Ireland is being fucked up by colonization as if it didn't have enough problems on its own. And our hero, Grania Nawalia, who we barely got to in the first episode, was born into privilege into a crime family. And now she's doing some crime. 
And the English are trying to tell Irish people to stop rocking cool mullets and mustaches. And we'll get back into it. So, Grania and the Owalias, they didn't give a shit about England trying to tell Irish people to stop being Irish. The king could say whatever he wanted. They were fucking badass pirates on the West Coast who spoke Irish and Latin and wore whatever they wanted to. Like, she wore pants, for example. She grew up to cuss and fight and sail. Until she was 16, her dad was like, all right, time to marry you off for politics. Because you got born into privilege as a girl. And sometimes that sucks. Mm. But it seemed to kind of work out for her. People like to conjecture. I like to conjecture about the private lives of the people that we talk about. She was handed off to be married to some guy named Donald O'Flaherty. Donald of the Battles was his nickname. Sometimes it's translated as Donald of the War. um, Because he liked to fight. His family motto actually just rules. It's fortune favors the bold. Of all cliches. It's one of the best ones. Her family motto was like, powerful by sea and land, which also was true. My father always told us that our family motto was suffer in silence. Not quite (laughs) as fun. (laughs) But it's very Irish. Yeah, there's, yep, uh (laughs) uh-huh. Donald of the battles had some of his own lands, but he was an heir to even more lands. And he was a, he was real fighty. Probably, like, like some of the historians are like, look, this guy doesn't sound like the guest, best guy to be married to. When you imagine like this, you know, brood of a man or whatever. But, but honestly, I don't know. Like, I found nothing that implies he was anything but polite to her. And like, maybe they were both just super into it. She's not exactly not fighty. And it I might mean, be nice to have your husband go off to war regularly. Do you know? You're oh, like, yeah, totally. Yeah, you, you go do that. That's a long way to sail. You go fight that war. Yeah, totally. Um, and honestly, I think there's a chance they were both super into it, though, just like being a weird, fighty couple. Not like fighting with each other, but like enjoying battle mm-hmm. because of what happens next. Uh, and so I like to think that they both just like to fight and fuck and drink and cuss and rob um, because we have evidence that she liked to fight and fuck and drink and cuss and rob. And she continued to fuck whoever she wanted throughout her entire life with no reference at any point to any husband being upset by this. Because she's in charge. So she was shipped off to be a good wife. She's quickly in charge. She pops out three babies, uh, one with the best name ever, Margaret, or perhaps Merid. And instead of being a happy homemaker lady or really changing to adopt the O'Flaherty way, she imports her family traditions to her new family. And by family traditions, I mean she gets a bunch of ships and she goes out and she takes other people's stuff. You know, do what you know. Yeah, exactly. Stick to your strengths. Soon, her and her new family and their retainers, because they're nobility, so they have retainers, they're just robbing the shit out of Galway. They just, like, show up outside of Galway, and every boat that comes in and out, they're like, oh, they're, you know, they're like, hey, you want to come in here? We'll, we'll let you in. Uh, but the problem is there's a lot of, like, cannonballs going everywhere. Wouldn't it be better if there weren't any cannonballs? We could help with that. I like Galway. It's where my family is from. It's on the West Coast. It's in the Galtect, the part of Ireland that stayed less colonized overall and the and Irish stayed uh, alive as a language more successfully. But medieval Galway was a, was a little bootlicky. The English crown had more control there overall compared to most places outside of Dublin. They even passed a no-mustaches law years before the King of England told everyone else that they had to have a no-mustaches law. So, and also... There's two ways of looking at this. There are a bunch of crybaby snitches who ran to daddy as soon as they started getting attacked by Grania, or maybe this like murderer showed up and kept murdering people and they went and found someone who could try to stop her. 
Potato, um, potato. Exactly. Grania didn't call it piracy and murder. She called it maintenance by sea and land. Maintenance meaning um, money that's like owed to you. Mm. Um, and it was a protection racket. Uh, you know, you've got that nice boat full of stuff. If you want to land in Galway, we can work that out for you. And they actually also did some value added because the whole west coast of Ireland is really treacherous to sail. And they had pilots and stuff who would help people navigate through the waters. And there's like some argument that she didn't really go pirate until a little bit later. I think she was born a pirate and died a pirate. <laughs> and the whole time she's fucking the people she wants to fuck. I'm sure her husband was too. I really want what's best for both of them and their happy little murder bandit family. Her husband either let her take the reins of the family's power or just couldn't stop her. It seems likely, though, because he just liked fighting. And so she organized everything real well where he got to fight a lot. So no problems. And I've rarely encountered an Irish family that wasn't mostly matriarchal, honestly, when you get down to it. (laughs) I know. It's kind of funny because, like, this is actually one of the bigger sources of tension between um actually even like uh irish celt versus scottish celt is like some stuff about matrilineality and patrilineality and that ireland overall was a more patrilineal and like patriarchal place and there's like worse inheritance laws for women in ireland than even than england at this point but at the end of the day that is my experience as well uh that is my understanding of irish culture (laughs) official power to the man so that he has something to hold on to (laughs) Keep him busy. Yeah, totally. Meanwhile, speaking of girl bosses, Henry VIII is dead, and Mary Tudor, Queen Mary, she got to be the Queen of England for a while. She's the first Queen Regnant of England, the first Queen who's the ruler instead of being Queen by being married to the King Regnant, who they probably don't call the King Regnant. She took the throne by military force after being cut out of the line of secession, and she gets called Bloody Mary. And if you want to see what she looks like, Go into the bathroom, turn off the lights, turn around eight times, <laughs> same Bloody Mary, look in the mirror. Speaking of seeing queer reflections in the mirror, I actually wrote this essay a long time ago about like transness and Bloody Mary and like seeing the being afraid of the woman in the mirror. Oh, I want to read that. It was the first time uh, I, I really read about Mary Tudor. And I was like, I don't really like royalty, but there's still like I have a certain sympathy for um, the way in which her like femininity was portrayed as monstrous like specifically there's like essays going around at the time complaining about monstrous regiment like rule by monsters because she's a monster because she's a um, catholic and a woman and to be fair she got the name bloody mary because she had this habit of setting protestants on fire in public places but by burning them at the stake not like personally walking around with a lighter should have been a little more creative. Burnt Mary or Fiery Mary. Bloody really does not, to me, imply you set people on fire. I know, now, and she asked... Go ahead. The Brits had real problems with naming things. Aside from not having the word mustache, they mm-hmm. clearly did not know how to properly name someone who sets people on fire. I just... No, you know. that's true. That is a really good point. And she's way less bloody than her fucking murder dad, Henry VIII, who's like just famous for being murder guy. Like, that's his fucking claim to fame. Is that in... Didn't he write green sleeves? Did he really? Because really all I know are the wives. You know it's bad when history only remembers you for killing your wives because usually history forgets that you killed your wife. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. And Mary Tudor, she was really good to her husband. Her husband was uh, bisexual and he really liked to fuck dudes. And so she revoked, and I don't know if this is why or she just did it because it was right. 
She revoked her dad's anti-buggery laws. Uh, she legalized homosexuality. Her reign was the last time gay men could legally fuck in England for the next 300 years. It was a Although capital. I will of- asterisk that mm-hmm. by saying yes, that like, do. gay and homosexuality, I think, are terms that we cannot quite really apply to people living in this time. But okay. certainly acts of sodomy. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. It's just, you know, identity ideas. Our ideas. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the last episode. Yeah, no, totally. Our ideas of identity don't really make sense back then. Practice makes yeah. sense. Material culture of what it means to be yeah. a fag, if you will. But in terms of like what these laws actually mean and the place that they exist in the world, like I think we're often, it's really easy to sort of say like, they were letting gay people live. They were not letting gay people live. It's more space. And it, it's mm-hmm. not ever quite that. So just, okay. No, no, I'm okay. a pedant. That, <laughs> it's, it's quite a right. There's a, uh... The thing that you are the expert on is a good thing to interject about. And you did mention that historians like to argue, so I feel I have to oh, live true. up to yeah. my reputation. Oh, well, then I have to... Def- Nuh-uh, they're totally <laughs> game. And Okay. Um, anyway, men could fuck men uh, for the first time under her reign legally. So her dad was a fucking misogynist monster, and she's the one who gets called Bloody Mary. She also fucked with Ireland a little bit, but not that much. She, like, way let off the took her foot off the pedal of the colonized Ireland and fuck everyone over thing. At least one historian I read talked about her reign as basically, yeah, letting off the steam. And mustaches for everyone, I guess. Mustaches and mustache rides. (laughs) And that's a slogan for a queen. She didn't rule super long. She died from what was probably ovarian cysts or uterine cancer. It was a a false pregnancy is, is what it was called at the time, which ties into the well, a lot of the stuff about how her gender ties into her reign in kind of really negative ways. And she dies in 1558. Grania is like 28 or something at this point. Elizabeth, her half-sister, rose to the throne. Immediately, everyone's like, hell yeah, let's go fuck up Ireland. Because this is the thing that gets left out of like, whenever I read shit that's like, oh, and what are these kings doing over here in England and shit? You'll read about them and then they're like... Well, and then they turned around and murdered everyone who's just like immediately over somewhere else. Anyway, whatever. I guess everyone knows that Britain's bad. So I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. It's certainly something that was drilled into me as yeah. a child. Yeah. My parents are so Irish. This is always the story I tell that on the morning of September 11th, I overslept. Mm-hmm. And so I woke up to my parents calling me to tell me that my dad wasn't in the Trade Center because some days he worked there. Not often, okay. but occasionally. So... I pick up the phone. My dad is just screaming on the other end. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, what are you talking about? He sort of like half explains what's happening. And then it's like, just turn on any radio or TV. So I do. And I get the kind of picture of what's happening. We're sort of not mm-hmm. talking at this point. We're on the phone. And suddenly my mother grabs the phone. And the first words she says to me about 9-11 are, this is the British's fault. <laughs> and then she went on a long and absolutely correct monologue about British colonization of the Middle East and the Levant and the the effects of the oil trade. And, and I was like, Mom, you're not wrong. You are, in fact, quite right. I do think there are some more... Um, proximate reasons, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. we had some involvement. And she's like, right, right, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. at the end of the day, this is the British's fault. <laughs> yeah. My parents can find the fault in England in basically any global event, and they're very rarely wrong about it. Uh, you know, if you if you get an empire that the sun doesn't set on, <laughs> some shit can get fucking blamed on you. And to be fair, 
I, I I think anyone who like listens to this knows that I'm not like, man, you know what's great is the United States of America. I'm like, no, it's a colonial monster. Um, but like, it's just we like to shit on the colonial monster that came before us. Yeah, you know? it's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So Elizabeth, she sets up colonial monster things going on, and she gets back to the surrender and regrant plan, which is the give up your titles. And then I'll give you back your titles, but they'll be English titles this time, and you could be an earl or whatever the fuck. So this causes a lot of tension, because the clan chiefs, the land wasn't really theirs to make that decision about. It's the whole clan's land, and they're just in charge of it for a hot minute. But some chiefs go for it, because people are people, and everyone gets real mad at everyone. And the 16th century Ireland is even more fighty and warlike than previous Ireland, which is saying something. I think mostly in like ye oldy sorty times like this, it's mostly the richer folks who are doing all the warring. The peasants get to kind of stay out of it. I think mostly in ye oldy sort times like this, it's mostly the richer folks who do the warring. The peasants kind of stay out of it and just find out who owns the land swapping around and getting slaughtered on the side. But mostly, I think it's mostly the, the British doing the wholesale slaughter of peasants. I'm not as aware of that as being part of the way that war worked prior to all of that. But Ireland doesn't want to be ruled. So it's busy fighting itself, but it also sets about fighting the English. There's this guy, Shane O'Neill, or just the O'Neill, really. And he raises an army. First, he re-Irished himself. His dad sold out the family name and swore fealty and dropped the O in his name. And then the dad mysteriously died. <laughs> And the kid Oops. inherits it. And no history. I've only, okay, I've only read one history that talks about this. But the history book that, like, no point is, like, because he killed his dad. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It's because he... Strong implication. <laughs> well, the book doesn't even make the implication, but it seems so obvious to at least have the implication. So he's now the O'Neill because he has inherited it from his father and brings it back into Irish Bren law. And he adds the O to his name. And he gets uh, elected the O'Neill, you know, because he's not trying to just take it because his dad had it. He believes in Tanistry and all that shit. He might not have killed his dad. I don't know. But he... You don't want to slander him. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> dad sells out. Cunt. I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> he liked to fuck around. He married a whole bunch of different people. He kept sleeping with a bunch of other people. It was probably part of the reason that the Bren law worked better for him, you know. It was just funny because the Anglican Church, their whole thing was like divorce, but Irish had fucking divorce. Yeah, but it was a divorce that women could initiate. Nobody wants that. Yeah. yeah. So he raised armies against the English. He brought over 1,500 Scottish red shanks. Those are the actually mercenaries from Scotland. He conscripted his peasants, which is like a big, bold innovation in forced labor. Uh, he gave them spears and shit. He fought the hell out of English armies. He was invited Real innovator. to- Yeah. He was invited to London to negotiate a truce. This is the first time, one of the only two times that uh, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, treats with a rebel personally. The other time is actually Grania. We'll get to that later. And they end up in a truce. Doesn't last all that long. And when he does, when he goes to London, he shows up with a retinue of Galloglass, the Scottish not mercenaries who are just like the fighty guys. Truce lasts. Then it ends. There's a whole bunch of clan warfare, hereditary titles. Everything's really confusing. This is my least favorite part about all ye oldy sword time things. It's like hereditary bullshit. Eventually, it reaches the West Coast. Some minor noblish guy near Galway. He surrenders and regrants to become the O'Flaherty. But there already wasn't a 
the O'Flaherty. I guess he becomes the Flaherty, but there already was an O'Flaherty. And so the successor to the real one was Grania's husband, Donald of the Battles, who by this point has his nickname upgraded. He has gone from Donald of the Battles to being the cock. <laughs> uh, uh, hmm. Do you, uh, were, what did that... You know, I don't want to make any assumptions <laughs> about the meanings of words historically, say. I'm sure this referred to in Badman. He was very good with the, the little Shuttle, thing yeah, that you um, hit. Yeah. He was, he was uh, named after the rooster because he was good at fighting and he was arrogant as hell. He took a oh, castle right. and some fighting and it got called Cox Castle. So Grania and her husband lived in Cox Castle. I've been to a place called that. It was very different. <laughs> See where I would have gone to where we'll get to what it gets the name changed to. So he didn't get to live there very long. All this feuding, he was out hunting and some people he just fucked with found and killed him. He made a lot of enemies during his time as the cock. And so these people who've killed him go and try and take retake Cock's castle. But Grania's like, no, I'm 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 good at this. You can't have my castle. It's also a castle. So her and her warriors drove them off. And the castle gets renamed thereafter as Hen's Castle. Yes. <laughs> and the English, I think they're in league with their enemies at this point. They try to take Hen's Castle. And Grania's like, no, we've been over this. This is my fucking house. This is my, like, fourth castle. Like, you really <laughs> yeah. think you're going to take it from me? I know. <laughs> and so she's like, hell no, the British are not taking my castle. Legend has it, but biographer Judith Cook thinks it's actually likely or very possible that this actually happened, that she melted down the lead off the roof to drop that shit on the attackers. That said, most of what I've read suggests that the whole like poor boiling oil and stuff on attackers thing about medieval castle warfare is largely a myth. Really? Yeah, it, it like overall, like the like infrastructure involved in transporting like large pots of boiling oil and stuff is like you might as well just have more people dropping rocks and shooting arrows and stuff. Um, it's really disappointing. I have to tell you that you're ruining history for me. I'm sorry. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, I got that from YouTube historians. So <laughs> probably they sat on a throne while they talked about it. I mean, I got it from the American education system. So frankly, yours is probably better. Yeah, okay, course. fair enough. So... But, but before we get into more of it, I, I do want to talk about what is effective for siege warfare, which is sponsor of the show, trebuchets. If you need to throw a really big rock or just any massy object, like a dead elephant, don't kill elephants for this purpose or I will hunt you down personally. But if you need to move one from one place to another and or interfere with a castle, nothing really gets the job done like trebuchets. Actually, by the time of this story it's cannons that are better at it. but trebuchets are what gave me money to say that you dear listener should go buy a trebuchet don't make your own that would cut out big trebuchet out of the picture trebuchets really need the marketing budget because cannons have come in i know exactly and they they need your help uh nothing says tradition like a sling that is larger than your house I know so many traditional gay men then. <laughs> slings, giant slings. 
<laughs> and then also whatever other ads are about to happen. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we are back. So, she's defending her castle. Fortunately, they didn't have trebuchets or cannons, I guess. <laughs> I don't really entirely know. I mean, I guess it'd be like overkill because like these castles are basically a house, right? Like, no, I wouldn't put it past any government to show up at a house with cannon. Never mind. But I could totally see them being like, Hen's castle. We don't need a cannon to take this. Yeah, totally. Their asses handed to them. Yeah, which actually happened a bunch of times, just in general, when they try and fuck with Ireland. They're like, those savages are naked in caves. And then the, like, naked in caves savages, who probably are not naked in caves, are like, oh, no, don't come into the swamp. There's only two of us. And then there's more, and then they kill them all. She probably also sent a follower to swim to shore, because her hen's castle is not an island, to light a beacon summoning support from the fucking riders of Rohan. I mean, um, other Irish warriors. And they show up and drive off the forces of Mordor. Sorry, uh, the English. And because the English at this point are putting to the sword all the rep, anyone who rebels against their authority, which isn't actually just a Game of Thrones thing. They actually just went around and murdered everybody. They just put everyone to the sword. Uh, it wasn't just rebels. It was like non-fighting people, women and children. Monks. Um, yeah, well, everyone, educators. everyone kills monks. Um, yeah. 
No, actually, I guess specifically the English. It's because their armor class is so low. If they could actually wear mail or plate armor. Yeah, or up their deck stat, honestly. Yeah. But, yeah. And so, and everywhere that they've conquered, that the English have conquered, become even more corrupt and fucked up than all the weird fifth. Like, Ireland wasn't doing great, right? I mean, like, it was, like, doing interesting, right? They were doing their own thing. But the English absolutely make all of it worse by an order of magnitude. But a, a second dark force is at work to conspire to keep her from keeping Hen's castle, even though she's driven away the British and she's driven away the people who probably her husband stole it from. Banshees? No. Close. Patriarchy. Mm. Under Irish law, women can't inherit from their husbands. So it's not her castle. So she has to pack her bags and go back to her parents. And she's entitled only to the return of her dowry that had been paid to Donald the Cock. But most of her retinue was like, are you fucking kidding? We're sticking with you. You're kicking ass. You rule. And so most of the Irish warriors and the Scottish gallow glass came with her back to her, like moving in, move back in with her parents. And so if you at home have had to move back to your parents after what felt like a high point in your career, you are not alone. The pirate queen of Ireland had to move back home. If you've lost your castle, now you're living in your dad's castle. Yeah. We've all been there. Well, fortunately, actually, she's living in her dad's other castle. (laughs) Is there a vacation Um, castle? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I make that joke later in the script. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, No, no, it's great. (laughs) So her parents are fucking rich as hell. And so they're living in Belclair Castle, the parents, on the mainland. And she's like, all right, well, can I have Clare Island Castle and just keep robbing people? And they're like, yeah, sure, hon, whatever makes you happy. And you start your little business. Yeah. You know, yeah. Etsy store. And within a few years, she runs shipping on the entire west coast of Ireland. And by ran shipping, of course, we mean taxed anyone who wanted to sail there and killed them if they refused to play that, pay that tax. Which is... Capitalism! It's also just kind of where government comes from, if you think about it. Like, it's... We, we folk hero this kind of banditry until it becomes big enough and then it's tyrannical government. Or if you're the opposite kind of person as me, you go the other way. You decry it as banditry until it becomes legitimate government. Sometimes it's also religion, though. Tithing. That's true. That's true. Power structures. It's almost like power structures have some fundamental flaws. What? I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't... No, probably not. Probably not. We, just, we should just find the power structure that we like versus the other power structure that we don't like and then support it and then get used as a pawn and then die. Which is, to be fair, a lot of what's going to happen in this story with my ostensible hero is that she's going to do that to people. Mm-hmm. But once again, there's actually some value added to her running shipping on the west coast of Ireland. Uh, local pilots navigating you along the coast is pretty valuable on this like place where everyone keeps crashing and dying. And she's knocking down castles with cannons. She's storming islands. She's just conquering land into her family's domain, even though, like, she doesn't legally get it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. but it goes she's, to the clan. Yeah, it goes to her parents, I think, who are the representatives of the clan at this point. And this operation involves hundreds of men at her, at her command. She has 30 ships, and she gets the title of Pirate Queen. And she's not even regnant over any area. Not only does Irish law prohibit women from official positions of power, but her dad and mom are still alive. And she's still the fucking pirate queen, which is just, it's impressive. Like, again, not a thing that I'm like, everyone should do this. This is a good thing, right? 
but it is a fucking impressive feat. And then, and this part might be legend, but it, who knows? She finds a shipwrecked hot dude from a foreign country. And she's like, yo, what's up? And they become lovers. Is this a romance novel? <laughs> I feel yes. like I've read this before. Uh-huh. Yeah. And <laughs> she just like, kind of like takes a break for a little while. I think it's like a couple months or something. And just is like kind of honeymoon phase with her like new boo that washed up from Who the shore from the ocean. Who has not been there? You're like, I am so overwhelmed from invading and conquering. Right. I just need like three months to like Netflix and chill in my castle. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, it's dangerous to be her lover because he's out hunting one day and a rival clan, the McMahons, kill him. Uh, so if you're ever fucking Grania Nawalia, just don't go hunting anymore. It's not worth it. <laughs> just go with her. She'll protect you. That's true. She'd murder the shit out of you. But it'd be like really annoying because you'd be like, I got this deer. And then she'd be like, whoops, I killed the deer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, all the men who are hunting you. I know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> or you'd be like, doesn't even like tell you that she's killed all the people who are like trying to assassinate you. And you're like, look, I killed a deer. And you're like, that's nice, honey. It's like, like three dead <laughs> Come on, people. Let's go around. home. Yeah. Let's, just step over that dead guy. Yeah. No, no, don't Where ask about from? him. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't like the, the, she doesn't like when her hot shipwreck guys get murdered. Uh, and the, the McMahons, she waits for them to go on pilgrimage to an island. She shows up. She captures all their boats. She gets onto the island. She kills everyone who killed her hot shipwreck guy. Then she sails back to the mainland, storms their castle, and takes it. Uh, uh, don't fuck with the pirate queen, who now gets a new nickname, the Dark Lady of Duna. Duna is where this is taking place. Oh, the Dark Lady. I know. I think that's a share song, isn't it? It's also the name <laughs> of the romance novel that I'm going to write based on all of this. God, yes. She was also Grania of the Gamblers as a new nickname because she liked to gamble both in terms of playing games and in terms of taking big risks. And everywhere she would go, apparently, like, because she also did, like, legitimate merchant deals. She would, like, uh, like all over um, the sort of known world at the time, down to the Mediterranean and stuff like that. And uh, she would just, like, bring gamblers with her, I think. In, like, an alternate history, she ends up as saint, the patron saint of gamblers. Like, you can totally see the Catholic Church being like, no, no, we'll just take her. We'll just take her. It's cool. Uh, Totally. Totally. So, she gets married again. And, again, all the, like, weird clan feuding stuff, sort of, I, I don't like things where I have to look at a family tree to figure everything out. But she marries this guy who, I think her brother, her, sorry, whose brother her dead husband had murdered. That's for it makes for a complicated family reunion. Right. But her and him have a lot in common. His name's Iron Richard because he never takes off his armor. Oh. And he loves fighting and rebellion. She's got a type. Iron dick. At least for marriage. Yeah. Uh, here's where and I... the cock. I'm just sort of noticing some trends to the names of the men she's been with. Iron dick. <laughs> The cock. Yeah. Did the hot like pirate dude have a have a he didn't a, even have a, a name. genital related? No, yeah, <laughs> he didn't have a name. <laughs> He's, He's just, just a, a toy. shipwrecked guy who dies right away. Yeah, <laughs> because she's going through life playing fuck Mary kill <laughs> and winning. Yeah, and yeah, she's winning at the game fuck Mary kill. That's what's impressive. No one else knew that there was a win condition. <laughs> So she marries Iron Richard. He's got a claim on some power, too. He's also an elected heir. He's a tannist of, I think, maybe almost all of County Mayo, but this shit gets really tangled. 
And that good Catholic country, Ireland, which totally obeys the church's laws and stuff, they have a traditional sort of secular marriage or trial marriage, which was legal at the time and would be for another 50 years, where you can get married for a year and a day. And if either party doesn't like it, you just call the whole thing off. So they got secular married. He lives in one of his castles and she sets up shop in his, his vacation castle to continue to run her operation. I just think that's so smart. Like, I think we don't have enough rituals for like the dissolving of things, the ending of things. The We all, we come up with all these rituals for beginnings, you know? And I'm yeah. like, yes, a year and a day, everybody knows it. And then, you know, 366 days later, you're like, yeah. <laughs> we changed our mind. Yeah. And everyone's like, okay, cool, yeah. They Honestly, marriage should have that built in. Um, if Escape me, patch. Yeah. And... No, I'm just thinking about that. That's like a, <laughs> like, yeah. So she might have then, okay, so there's all these legends about all of this, right? And so one of the legends is that she, like, her husband's, like, off at war, and he, like, comes home, like, on, like, the 365th day, and she's like, now you can't come in. It's my house now. <laughs> but if that happens, she then gets back with him. And I actually wouldn't put it past her to sort of, like, flex some power and be like, you know I can leave you. And I'm the one who runs things around here, right? But she does also seem to like him. And I think, once again, it's just one of these things where she's like, she's got a type. He's, yeah. He likes to fight and probably fuck. And uh, she has one of his kids. She, she might have given birth on the ocean, this part, not entirely certain. And then the, the legend of her says that while she was pregnant during this marriage, She's in her mid-30s. She's captains a trading vessel down to the Mediterranean. This part almost certainly happened. And they were boarded by, you know, pirates. Mm. And she's like way the fuck pregnant. And she starts off in the legend version. She's like, could you all do this one thing without me? And everyone's like, no, we're being raided. And she's like, I'm so pregnant. And they're like, no, but they're going to kill us all. <laughs> and so she like walks up on deck like eight or nine months pregnant with a blunderbuss in each hand and just like fucking like drives off the attackers. Yes. I think if you, to become king of the land, you need to fuck a horse. Then to become the pirate queen, you need to give birth on the ocean. Like that should just okay. be established as the ritual. Okay. No, that, that, that works for me. And not too later, she has her fourth and final kid whose name is Tibbet. And he has a storied life too. And it's possible that she gave birth to him on the ocean. Meanwhile, the guy who's above her dad, this again, the whole fucking hereditary blah, 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 like kind of. If you're listening to this, don't use this as your like little fill out the family tree thing. Uh, that's what you get when you hire a fiction writer to run a podcast about history. It, it, I mean, I'm not lying about anything. What I'm not lying about is that I can understand some of this fucking shit I don't care about. Like, <laughs> who's in charge of what? Meanwhile, the guy who's above her dad, he gives into English rule. He goes for the surrender and regrant. His back's against the wall. It probably wasn't an easy decision. And this is the guy her husband is the heir of. The English didn't, and they would do shit like basically they just I mean, this is what they did later all over the fucking world. They show up and they look at County Mayo and they're like, oh, let's divide it into 10. Like, drunk, 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 you know? And, and this turns all the clans against each other because of course it does because you're giving people a chance at power, but it's all a fucking game and they're just, whatever. I'm really mad about all this stuff. So the guy gives in, surrenders and regrants, and now he has to pay tax and he has to provide fighting men to the English fucking queen and he has to expel the Scots from the territory. But the Irish like having the Scots around. They're really good at fighting. Grania, the Galaglass, right? Yeah, the Galaglass, yeah. Grania, in the meantime, she keeps pirating and running the shipping off the west coast of Ireland. 
And then maybe she becomes a spy for the British. It's really hard to know. The evidence leans towards like, yeah, maybe, probably. If she was, it was a messy arrangement because she keeps fighting English people all the time. She's like, I got to keep up my cover story. I have to kill at least five of you a year. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's possible that she was a double or triple or quadruple agent. It's also possible that she was just keeping up a cover story by continuing to throw down in rebellions. So there's a case that could be made that Grania was either a spy for the British, a patriotic Irish woman who supported tons of rebels, or just a really powerful mom looking out for her family and her crime empire through whatever means were convenient. And I, I mean, think that actually feels like the truest story I've ever heard about an Irish woman. Yeah, I think it was all three, but I think it was 50% the last one and then 25% the other two. I can feel that. My mother, mm-hmm. on the day I left home for college, the last words she said to me were, don't join any gangs because you're already in one. <laughs> Meaning being Irish? Being my family. Ah. But she then clarified further. She was like, but especially, do not join the Catholics because we got out of that once. <laughs> and do not join the Unitarian Universalists because they don't believe in anything. And if you're going to fall for a cult, at least have something. <laughs> These were my mother's last words before I went off to college. I've always thought they were pretty helpful, actually. Yeah, no, that's a reasonable advice. So... The evidence that she's a spy kind of builds more later in her life. But the evidence at this point is that basically she gets away with running the entire shipping on the west coast of Ireland. But I I actually think, frankly, the other uh, reason that this is presented as to why it might have happened, which is she's too fearsome to stop, is just as likely, if not more likely. But her and Iron Richard do go to London at some point for unknown purposes. Well, honeymoon. Yeah. Meanwhile... The west coast of Ireland, probably all of Ireland, didn't really want to become England. That's probably like the fourth or fifth time I've said that, but it continues to be true today. And they were fighty, again, keep saying. So they fought Grania, and she, she, according to reports on rebellions at the time, she was for 40 years the stay of all rebellions in the west, but, but not yet. She wants to stay out of it and rob people. In 1577, in her late 40s, she finally gets caught for the piracy thing. The Earl of Desmond down in the southern part of the country grabs her while she's trying to like do a piracy. And he was, let's go with not incredibly loyal to the throne. And the queen knows it. So he's like, how better to put on a front that I am loyal than to capture queen pirate Grania? And... Grania spends 18 months in his jails in Southern Ireland and then is transferred to Dublin Castle, which is the Irish equivalent of the Tower of London at the time. And it's like the place for star prisoners, most of whom leave by being hanged. And then suddenly, she's released without charge. And we straight up don't know why. That's suspicious. Uh Uh-huh. It's possible the queen was like, fuck you, she's my spy, let her go. It's also possible that the Earl of Desmond, who was trying to do a rebellion, decided that her being a pirate who supported rebellions was a better purpose for her than, like, because she'd already... More useful to him. Yeah, she'd already kind of, he'd already kind of, like, proven he was loyal by capturing her. So now he can maybe set her free in order to, like, have her be a useful pawn in a continued rebellion or whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's also possible that, basically, they let her go in order to, like, set her up to look like a spy. I don't know. But that's... 
I think the most likely is that she was a spy and that's why she was let go. But the other one has some, yeah. some possible. But as soon as she gets back, the English try to steal her castle. This has not worked out for anyone. Have they not learned this I lesson know, yet? I know. 18 days later, she drives them off. <laughs> um, and imprisoning Grania turned out to be a mistake for the Earl of Desmond. Because shortly thereafter, he's leading a rebellion. Honestly, almost by mistake. I think he was just trying to stay out of some shit that involved like Spain and Rome. Where they were like, because Spain this whole time is like, we're going to fucking take England soon. And they're like eyeing Ireland as the place to start. And a lot of the Irish rebels are like, fucking sure, whatever. Whatever it takes, man. (laughs) If you come here and beat up the English, fucking God bless you. Uh, We're all Catholics here. And which is why Rome was involved also. The Pope was part of all this shit. Mm -hmm. But so like he gets implicated in all this plotting and he gets called a traitor. So he's like, well, I guess I'm a traitor now. So he becomes a rebel and he rebels. And he asks County Mayo and Grania in particular for help. Iron Richard, her husband, agrees and he marches off. Grania's like, nah, bud, you're on your own on this one. You kept me in a fucking cage for two years. <laughs> or I'm loyal to the English queen and a spy. But I don't know. She just drove off the fucking whatever. Yeah, she stays out of it. Feels it feels complicated. <laughs> yep. I know. I was like, I kind of enjoy these episodes. I start off with this like sort of simplistic narrative in my head when I before, you know, like the Wikipedia version of this. Well, not literally the Wikipedia version of this. The Wikipedia version of this is impossibly dense. But the like, mm-hmm. the like Cliff's Notes version of all this is like fun Irish pirate lady. Ho, ho, ho. Pirate's life for me. And then like, you're like, nah, it's just messy. She's like, yeah. She's on my my podcast, Cool People Did Cool Stuff, but in a less heroic way than usual. Messy people who did messy stuff. Yeah, interesting people did interesting stuff. <laughs> or we'll get to it. We'll get to it. There's some interesting shit. But you know what else is interesting? The plethora of types of Oreos. There's like so many types of Oreos. And like if you go to the grocery store, you have so many options because capitalism has provided with us with like just so many options and, and oreos are all vegan that's true actually i, I hate to except for like a couple except for a couple <laughs> a couple kinds i'm sure they're <laughs> the, the gross kinds <laughs> the meat ones <laughs> yeah, you know totally. beef oreos yeah. not vegan yeah margaret you're the one who told me that and i was like that's so beautiful i know it's it's a, co- a cookie that won't hurt my stomach <laughs> now i i'm not trying to actually turn this into any kind of actual ad but man now i kind of wish i had some oreos and milk i know it sounds really really relaxing <laughs> on know. a day like today i know this is I like know. not gotta actually get oreos to promote this podcast <laughs> <laughs> well but importantly capitalism provides us with so many options and including the options that you're about to listen to are you excited Hugh ryan for the capitalism that is integrally tied into the narrative of telling history in the modern world. I'm sorry. Visions of Oreos are just dancing in my head now. That's, that's it. I can't talk anymore about Ireland. I just have to name various kinds of or- double stuff. Yeah. Thin Oreo. Birthday cake. Pumpkin spice bullshit Oreo. Yeah. Birthday cake ones are nasty. The dark chocolate ones are incredible. Oh my God. I'm so hungry. My day, we had Oreos, <laughs> and there was one kind of Oreo. It's still the, the best kind God of Oreo. The way God intended. Yeah. God's Oreo is still the best Oreo. A good Catholic. It's Each the Holy one Spirit is in actually... the middle, Jesus on one side, God on the other. It, exactly. Actually, every box of Oreos is blessed 
by someone at at least the bishop level. Two Eucharists. Yeah. With just like a little bit of cream in between. <laughs> Here's some ads. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, we're back. We spent the whole break talking about Oreos. We really did. We learned so much. I know. There's a whole podcast worth of information about Oreos in that break. You're missing out, listeners. You really are. And you know who else is missing out is the Earl of Desmond because... No Oreos for him? Yeah, do you think he deserved an Oreo? I don't. Well, you know, okay, okay. To his... I was going to say he, like, did lock up Grania, but she showed up on a ship with, like, people with swords and shit and was like, yo, fuck you, give me my, give me your stuff. And he was like, no, I don't want to. You're going to, you're going to jail instead. And I'm not, like, a big jail person, but if I, if I owned a jail and someone was like, I'm going to kill you unless you give me your stuff, and I'm able to, like, be like, Nah, just kidding. I'll throw you in jail. And then he led a rebellion. So, I don't know. So you're saying you would give him an Oreo? Yes. But not a One double stuff? No, not a yeah. double stuff. There's some double stuffed deserving people. That sounds negative, but I mean it positively. <laughs> Coming up. 
I'll stop making Oreo jokes now. No, no, I'll, I'll keep them in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so the Earl of Desmond, he has a rebellion. It's called Desmond's Rebellion or whatever. But there's a rebellion every like 30 seconds. So it gets real confusing. Like literally there's multiple uh, Burke rebellions, several of which happened during this. But if you Google Burke Rebellion, you get like some shit that happened 200 years earlier as the primary one, even though there's like numerous major ones that fundamentally change some of the politics and Anyway, not a stable place because it's in the middle of being absolutely destroyed by its neighbor. Iron Richard marches off to go help. Grania's like, fuck you. You locked me in a fucking cage. Fuck off. And what's really interesting is that all of the official papers that talk about these people at this point, they stop referring to Grania as Richard's wife. And then instead, they talk, when they talk about Richard, they're like, you know, Grania's husband. Oh, um, she became the more famous yeah, one. Yeah, even though he's like literally the like, royalty you know and there's a ton of written records about her and richard showing up to big important meetings and people like taking five seconds to go from like why is this guy's wife here to just talking to her about everything and leaving him out of it richard doesn't do well in this rebellion and grania steps in and negotiates his surrender so that he doesn't lose everything like especially his life and the english are murdering the shit out of everybody famine is driving across the country and there's all these reports about poor Irish peasants who have nothing to their name but a single cow. And they're just like, well, fuck it. I'm better to die with some dignity in battle. And surrendering Irish warriors are being slaughtered en masse, often in these like, come negotiate a surrender and we'll all, you'll all be taken care of. And by taken care of, we mean murdered. And the Earl of Desmond's rebellion fails. Iron Richard, he gets his chance to become uh, the McWilliam the chief of a huge chunk of County Mayo because the guy he's the tannist of goes and dies. But England supports the other guy because they don't give a shit about elective monarchy. They like their non-elective monarchy, hereditary monarchy. They like women throwing swords out of ponds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, better than either of these systems. Literally picking a random person who doesn't want to be in charge is probably a better system. Um, yeah. But anyway, finally, Grania's like, okay, I'm fighting the British, and I stand by my guy and or my chance at greater political power. So all of this, like, oh, she led all these rebellions. I think she did throw, I mean, she's already fought the British off numerous times when they try and take away her castle. Take her house. Yeah. <laughs> all of Ireland, instead of getting pacified by all this scorched earth policy and famine and murder everyone you see thing, they're just fucking mad. So Grania raises an army. All the clans of County Mayo are like, yeah, this is the guy we elected, not that fucking bootlicker over there. And so England looks at the like 2,000 fucking armed people in County Mayo, which is like a backwater from their point of view, and is like, whoops, our bad. We meant Iron Richard. He's our guy. <laughs> whoever you want. Yeah. Like, whoever you want. Iron Richard is now the McWilliam. <laughs> but... He does it. It's 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 within the Irish within the English system. He doesn't really give in to the English system at any point. But it, he's like, they're like, you're a guy, and he's like, what? You know, he gets to be that for a few years until 1586 when he goes and dies. Uh, I cannot. It's not mentioned in any of the three places I looked how he dies. Just that he dies in 1586. So my money is on out hunting, mm. not actually. Uh. I assume he just died of battle or old age I'm pooping really hard yeah yeah hooping hooping like hooping and hollering 
No, more like uh, trying to take a shit and then a heart attack. I feel like that's how you cut. That's oh. the detail you cut out. If you're a king who dies, you know, uh. like Elvis, like nobody. Nobody, the, if he died hunting or fighting, everyone would be like, oh, there's a ballad. When they don't talk about it, you know, it's like, actually, he uh, tripped and shoved a scissor through his eye. <laughs> no, that, that tracks. But Grania can't inherit because, of course, she's a girl. So she fucks off with some of her retinue and she stays involved in everything. But her power is starting to wane because she doesn't have access to the ostensibly legitimate authority of her husband anymore. And England fucks with the secession again, and rebellions are everywhere, which the English, especially this new guy on the scene, maybe he's not new, but he starts being relevant to our story. His name is Bingham. He's a behind-the-bastards-level absolute monster. He is, like, behind the killing everyone who's surrendering. He's the one where I got that piece about, like, how they, like, talked about referring to Irish women and children as prey animals, you know? Um, And... And so this time, Grania's like in it to win it. And it's called the Burke Rebellion. It's against Bingham. And she's throwing down side alongside her sons her, and her son-in-law, whose name is the Devil's Hook. And I don't know why. I'm going to assume that he had a really funny shaped penis. Yes. That is, uh, and, and I don't want to shame anyone who happens to have a Devil's Hook. Uh, you should be proud. That sounded sarcastic. I actually no don't shame. shame. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's good enough to get a nickname made out of yeah, it. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. the cock, Iron Richard, the devil's hook. It's clear that she's collecting a certain type of man around her is all I'm saying. That's true. <laughs> she, I mean, she just straight up is. She finds these like strong, brave, not specifically ambitious, but not not ambitious men and is like, yeah, sort of like a, an army of Instagram models. Yeah. You know? They're not going to go far. They're kind of replaceable. They all have funny nicknames. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. One of her sons, Owen, he wasn't even a, re- a rebel. And Bingham captures him and kills him pretty cruelly. Like they tie him up and stab him to death while he's tied up. And Grania, during this Burke's Rebellion, she does what she does best. She runs things and she sails. In this case, it seems like her main task is bringing Scots over to fight and just like running, like running soldiers back and forth. Glasgow's and, and Red Shanks both. She's negotiating alliances. She's rescuing people. Like you need a boat and she's somehow there, you know? She's just fucking everywhere yeah. doing everything. She's in her 50s at this point and she has grandkids. Yeah, you just stare into the water and say, Grace O'Malley, Grace O'Malley, Grace O'Malley, and her boat just comes. Yeah. And is like, I'm going to save you and take all your money. And any hot guys. Yeah. Ugh. I love it's, her. It's, it's worth it, but barely, you know? <laughs> she gets captured. They build a special gallows just for her. They kill a bunch of the other people she's captured with right off, but they hold on to her for a couple weeks, and they build a special gallows. And she's like, oh, I'm going to die. And she goes about getting ready to die. And then, at the last minute, there's a reprieve, and she's not hanged. History does not know why. One version that is not very likely is that the Devil's Hook, her son-in-law, convinces Bingham to let her go. Bingham is not a let-him-go type type guy. He fucking hates her. Another version is that a royal reprieve showed up while she was walking to the gallows. This is generally seen as um, more likely. And she was either working for the British or double agency or whatever. Because she's in the middle of leading a rebellion against them. And like, I mean, my cover story... 
I don't know. I feel like there's a line, right? But maybe there isn't for a spy. Like, can you show up with 2,000? Like, they didn't have that many fighters, and she goes and gets 2,000 of them and brings them. You know? And also, like, what does the British gain out of saving her at that point, right? If she really is a spy. So the main thing she's theoretically a spy about is actually not... Oh, this kind of makes it make sense. She's not necessarily a spy about Irish rebels. She's a spy about what's happening in the shipping and specifically like what Spanish ships and shit are doing. Mm. This is what is conjectured. No one knows that she spied anything, right? But that is the like. But And so it would make sense that she's like, well, I'm kind of a spy about this one thing, but like I don't want them to kill my fucking kid, you know? And the Burke Rebellion is crushed. Everyone gets massacred by the British. There's a soldier, like a random British soldier, who wrote this letter that's basically like, I'm so tired of killing everyone. And he's just, after they're putting all the men, women, and children to the sword. Like, there's the letters like, they were trying to run away, but we had to, like, chase them into water and watch them drown and then stab everyone who survived. I feel like that letter could be sent from basically every war. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, the British, they're not done murdering the shit out of everyone. Empires don't get tired of that shit, even if individual people do. In 1588, the Spanish tried to attack England. They hoped to use Ireland as kind of a stepping stone, but mostly they just go for England, and they get this armada of 130 ships. England beats the shit out of this armada. England is good at navies. Uh, it's kind of like don't invade Russia by land. We have land war in it, yeah. And don't, um, don't try to fight England in specifically a naval context. The Armada fleds, flees home after getting wrecked, but it gets caught up in the storms, and 24 ships are wrecked on the west coast of Ireland. And hundreds or thousands of Spanish sailors wash up alive on the coast of Ireland. So the English say, everyone who sees a Spanish person is legally obliged to murder the Spanish person. If you don't, we will murder you. Uh, which is one of the like rudest laws I've ever heard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. Spaniards got murdered en masse, but some were moved illicitly across the island and over to Scotland and made it home. And they have amazing stories about their time in Ireland being helped by rebels. This is actually where the story I told earlier about the like Spaniard who's like fleeing across Ireland who like hangs out in a sweat lodge with naked ladies and it's just like, huh, this is just the thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. And so Ireland is now like everyone who helps them is now a rebel because not murdering some random guy who's half dead is makes you a rebel at this point. If you see something, kill something. <laughs> That's Keep calm and murder. <laughs> <laughs> that actually is colon- colonization's overwhelming uh, urge, right? Yeah. Or drive. yeah, totally. Keep calm and murder. Yeah. Bingham, the guy who just put down Burke's rebellion, uh, he was really into murdering Spaniards, like extra super into it. As for the Owayas, it depends on who you ask. They either did all the murdering too in order to stay safe, or they were a big part of helping people get get safely to Scotland. Kind of depends on whether people want Grania to be a hero or not. My money is actually a little bit on the latter, partly because I want her to be a hero, but but especially because they fucking hate Bingham and everything he stands for, and they are world-class smugglers and sailors. So... If anyone could do that, it would be them. If anyone has a motive to do it, it would be them. And if anyone makes their living by walking around and looking for shipwrecks, it's them. So 
I don't know. And Bingham decided they it. did it. Go ahead. Oh, I said, I believe yeah. it. You sold me. Yep, I'm convinced. Bingham, also convinced, he decides that they're all trailers. He starts, and so he starts rounding up a bunch of the Owalias and saying, your lands are forfeit. So, there's another rebellion. You were thinking, I don't know, she's already been too far to have too many rebellions, but there's more. And this is the, the largest, it's a new Burke's Rebellion. 200 to 300 men march on Rockfleet. Bad, bad guys, in this case, uh, English, whatever. They march on Rockfleet, which is where Grania's hold up after the death of her second husband. It's her, like, you know, retreat castle. And this small army that is marching on her is led by a name, a man with the most unfortunate name for a bad person to have, John Brown. <laughs> oh. John, along the way, they murder the shit out of everyone, men, women, and children. This is where they start referring to them as prey. That's why we don't remember this, John. Yeah, Brown. <laughs> he had an E at the end of his name, at the end of Brown. Totally. Johnny. Yeah. Uh, no, Brownie. <laughs> that sounded, yep. Uh, fuck. So the people, <laughs> so the people gathered up their numbers and attacked them and killed them. Just fucking, there's the end of John Brown. You walk around the countryside murdering people and people are going to murder you. It's a lesson you got to learn early in life. Yeah. All the Burke Septs, which include the Owagas, they gather their warriors and they head off. Uh, they take Galway. They show up at Galway and they're like, hey, you're going to support our rebellion, right? And Galway's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you say yeah. uh, Grania's pirates do some raiding for supplies along the coast they no longer run the whole west coast at this point but there's still like nothing to fuck with Grania and her son are off to Scotland to go get some more fighty guys the English are like this sucks and they try for a truce and the rebels make their demands get rid of Bingham let us keep electing our leaders instead of doing your weird British shit the elected leader gets called the blind abbot I don't think he was blind People had names. He also might not have been an abbot. There weren't a lot of names back then. You got to distinguish between the many, you know, Dermots and Granyas, and we only had like seven names. Yeah, totally. Queen of England is like, nah, that's too much. Uh, so I'm going to just send a thousand soldiers plus 200 Irish people and go kill you all. And, and they're like, oh, and it's going to be easy to kill you all because you're all like poor and dumb. And so the Irish fuck them up for a while. Um, they like lead them into traps like they put a couple guys in the road and they're like oh no the English are coming let's run into the swamps hopefully they won't chase us into these swamps and they like ambush the shit out of them but unfortunately and here's one of your problems with hierarchy the blind abbot is part of this particular ambush in the swamps and he uh, he loses a foot in the fighting or he gets it doesn't get like hacked off but he, he gets wounded and he has to get it amputated Call him the one-footed abbot after No, that. they call him the guy who disappeared from history, stopped trying to lead a rebellion, and like just tried to live quietly in peace for the rest of his life. <laughs> he uh, like, like most of us. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he, he ran a Former podcast. Former revolutionaries who now identify as tired. Yeah, yeah. totally. He got really into history. <laughs> got a couple swords on his wall still, though. Yeah, the guy used to do that shit. I'll fucking tell the younger people when they listen. Yeah. To now you go, podcast. you go rebel. You can <laughs> yeah. take the name Burke's Rebellion. I did yeah. that twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then even worse than that, one of Grania's sons went traitor and joined the English. And Grania's like, fuck you forever. And it's like, I'm going to find that kid and teach him a lesson. I don't believe she ever does. 
Bingham traps Grania on an island and confiscates her fleet. And everything just sucks. The whole country is fucked, poor, everyone's dead, England's in charge. She's like 60 years old. She's largely defeated. And here's where the three Hughes show up on the scene. I promise you three people named Hugh. Told you they're all right one point right at the end. <laughs> There's Hugh O'Neill, the Earl of Tyrone. And he's this English-educated Irishman who pretends to be loyal to the Queen, loyal to the Queen but he's plotting rebellion. Okay. And then he has I a like bud. Him. Yeah. I'm going to rate the Hughes. It's okay. So that's okay, a, that's okay. Then there's his bud, Red Hugh O'Donnell. Well, he's got a good name. He does. Who is also like, we better fucking do something or we're all going to die because these English are monsters. That's all I got nice. on him. And then there's Hugh McGuire, who just showed up with a thousand fighters to raid some of Bingham's stuff and ends up a rebel somehow. I mostly included their names because they're all named Hugh. I I appreciate that. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick mm-hmm. Red Hugh as my favorite because okay. you know he's got a little bit more of a fun name, and you said you don't know much about him, so I'm gonna assume that he was the best of them. Yeah, I I think so actually. Um, yeah, and they're mostly tangential except Hugh O'Neill, who's gonna. He's not a big part of this story. He's a big part of what happens after this story. There's a nine years war. It's called the Nine Years War. Be sad if they called it like the Seven Years War. I know, and they were like, really? Those two years count for nothing to you? Those are prologue. Yeah. One of these rebels, not one of the Hughes, but one of the Hughes soldiers with the last Hugh, um, Hugh McGuire's soldiers, he gets captured, and he snitches out a bunch of Grania's family, and he's basically like, yeah, no, they're the rebels, they're the rebels, right? And the history book I read was like kind of implying that that was actually just completely like made up bullshit, because these people are sort of famous, and you can kind of point a finger to them, and Bingham hates them, and is a good way to get in with someone, is to be like, yeah, yeah, I swear it was Grania. But it also could have been Grania. Like, we don't know what she was doing is what's so interesting about a lot of this. And so he snitches out her son, Tibbet, her son-in-law, the Devil's Hook, and her half-brother who hadn't even mattered enough in this story to be included until now, whose name is Donald of the Pipes. Uh, because he like played, I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking everyone has phallic names. I, I don't, what you are making assumptions. I don't even know where you get that from. Is this because but, I'm gay? That was yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 well, I wouldn't want to call you gay specifically. After all, you exist in a specific time period, and so I'm really more concerned with the acts rather than the uh, identity. Really more concerned with the pipes than anything else. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So Donald of the pipes, he gets this name just because he's peaceful guy who plays the flute, and he's like yeah. not been part of any of this. He's just like fucking he, like. There's a reason that she was the one who took over the family business and he hung around and he played the flute. He's the hippie who's yeah. like wearing a drug rug. And I was like, Can yeah, you totally. Yeah. Uh, and he gets fucking arrested. Captured is really the word, I think, when an invading force does the arresting, but probably always. So Bingham grabs a bunch of these people, including two of her sons. And it's just all too much for Grania. Everything keeps fucking happening. She's trying to keep her family alive and together, and now her kids are in prison, and one of her kids is dead, of course, and the other one's a traitor. She's poor. She doesn't like being poor. So she writes Queen Elizabeth a letter. She writes a letter, and it's like, hey, uh, sorry I'm a pirate and a rebel. I had to because uh, I'm a woman and I couldn't inherit land. She's like playing the identity card really hard here. And also the thing they have in common, right? It's like, hey, you've had this problem, I think. Yeah, totally. And it's actually really interesting because they were born the same year and died the same year. Probably. No one really knows when she was born or died, but like most likely she died, was born and died the same year as Queen Elizabeth. 
But she's like, sorry, I'm a pirate and a rebel. I had to because I wasn't able to inherit any land and I had to keep up my life with it with my husband dead. Can you by any chance like forgive me, maybe give me some money and then also let my sons out of jail? And the letter actually reaches the queen. And this is like, she was a fucking spy. Um, <laughs> people, people are like, how did it get there? What possible weird chain of, how could it have gotten there? And the queen grants her an audience. She's in her 60s and she captains a ship up the Thames into London. She brings an entourage of people with complaints about Bingham. She'll do anything to help her family and her people, right? She'll fight, she'll negotiate, she'll rob, she'll beg. She'll probably like make deals and shit, you know? Possibly spy. <laughs> yeah. The legends call this the meeting of two queens. They're almost identical ages, both coming from down from the high points of their careers. Of course, Grania isn't technically a queen, never held any official title, scarcely any lands. Her power was all held together by being clever, successful, and ruthless. And there's no recording of this meeting, which is a shame. There's lots of myth around it, which is fun. They probably, but most of those myths are very like, they're kind of written from the sort of like, Irish patriot point of view about like her actually it's kind of fun there's like like one version of the story is like she like blows her nose and the, like she's like coughing and so the queen gives her a t- fancy handkerchief and she just like blows her nose into it and like throws it on the ground and then like and then like how could you act that way in front of your queen she's like whatever we're equals fuck you <laughs> Yeah, that definitely sounds like the sort of story you want to be true, not actually find it. Yeah, yeah, I am almost certain she showed up and was like, please, for the love of God, don't murder me or my kids. And they speak in Latin. I don't know whether she spoke English or not. And after a few months, she, she waits around London waiting for her official response. And the queen is like, yeah, okay. And gives her a letter. And the letter is to give to Bingham. And she goes and she delivers a letter. And the letter says she has to, he has to let her kids go and then also provide her with a maintenance, a salary for being alive. Basically, the ostensible reason was because she was cut out of her husband's inheritance. Some of the, like, taxes from the peasants on his land should go to her or whatever, you know, royalty. It's like a bullshit. get her to retire from being a pirate by giving her, like, a steady income. Yeah, totally. Bingham is pissed. He releases her kids, but he makes her life hell. So he quarters all of his troops in her place and tells them to eat and drink anything they want and just like drives her into poverty. So she fucks off to a sympathetic Earl somewhere else. And the rest of her life is pretty much quiet. It seems like this nine-year war, the Hughes versus Elizabeth, it seems like she sides with the English. Mm. She uh, specifically is to like patrol the West Coast of Ireland to keep mostly the Spanish at bay. And it's, she also encouraged her son to fight for the English too. But there's also reports that say her son met with Hugh O'Neill and was like, look, I'm actually on your side. So it's possible that they just fucking kept being double agents. Like, and they hereditarily became double agents. I mean, honestly, I think at that time, like to live a double agent, triple agent, I think that if you were a colonized subject and you have access to some degree of power, you had to do that dance, right? There was, maybe people didn't know you were doing it, but you were probably every single day of your life asking yourself like, how do I get through? How do my children get through? What do I need to do? Who do I need to fuck up? And who do I need to kowtow to? And how do I flip those when I can? I wonder what it must have been like at that end of your life to have gone through all of that. 
And then to just have this moment of like, not peace exactly, you know, but right. to slip out of history to be, yeah. what do you, how do you make sense of your own life at that point? The compromises you've made, the choices, the, I just wish like more than a record of their meeting, I would love like a, a type document at the end of her life where she's like, here's how I feel about all of this. I know. Like, and it, and it leads to this thing. So she's like, she's not really written into the official histories of, of Ireland. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that she's not an easy story. Uh, if you're a, a, an English patriot, she's not your guy. If you're an Irish patriot, she's not your guy. If you're a Christian monk, she's not a guy. <laughs> but legend picks her up as this sort of Robin Hood or Rob Roy, the sort of Scottish Robin Hood in many ways. She probably wasn't. She was probably just another would-be tyrant. But I don't know. Like, she's just, yeah, I wish I fucking knew. And, and, yeah. and I think that the answer is all of these complex things where she was like playing both sides, trying to keep her family alive. And I, I suspect, I don't know, I suspect that, because she was so mad at her, her son for joining the English, and yet mm-hmm. later she told her other son to join the English, which makes me think either she's had a change of heart because she's met Queen Elizabeth and that was like 180'd, but she was in her fucking 60s. And I feel like people don't like 180 their beliefs as much in their 60s, maybe. But like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mentioned she also couldn't see the like sweep of history that we see so easily, yep. you know, for all yep. we know, she was looking at it thinking oh, the English monarchy is going to collapse tomorrow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Go yeah. join them for a moment, you know, or or who the fuck knows? I mean, that's no, the, true. the difficult thing about so much of this, particularly these folks like you were saying, who we really know mostly through legend more than yeah anything else. Yeah. And she like. She was alive during when Brehan Law, when Irish law fell, you know? Because, I mean, England had been colonizing, trying for hundreds of years at that point. But overall, Ireland was Ireland or Irish or Brehan or whatever the fuck. For a thousand years, every, everything she could see in the past had always been that. And yeah, like here's this like 40-year period where everything is changing. And so it would make sense for her to just be like, how do I navigate this shit? Yeah. And maybe even to believe that and nothing that the English did was going to work. That yeah. a thousand years of history, whatever, they'll throw themselves against this wall and they will fall apart. And so for a moment, maybe I'm going to pretend I'm with them because that's going to get me through, but it's yeah. never going to work out, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to recoup her because I, I also want the legend to be true. I want fierce <laughs> pirate queens, Irish yeah. pirate queens resisting the British. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But never that straightforward. Nope. Nope. That's the other thing about history. I think if people really dig into it, uh, the easy lessons fall apart so fast. You know, the easy lessons you learn in kindergarten, George Washington couldn't tell a lie, chopped down a cherry tree, whatever. Nobody's telling you about his teeth made from (laughs) the teeth ripped out of slaves heads. Right. The easy history is like almost always wrong. Anytime I encounter something and it seems like a really easy pat narrative and you can tell who's good and who's bad and it doesn't change over the whole course of it. I'm like, that wasn't written by a historian. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, well, thanks for coming and being the you know, we really played to your strengths the whole time. The whole thing's 
based in New York City. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I gotta say, if you're choosing a place, like the only other thing I anything in the whole wide world that I know about, other than like queer New York City, happens to be Irish women because I come from a giant clan of them. So actually, this this worked out pretty okay. well. Okay, it was cool. like a, a little bit of learning and a little bit of like, oh yeah. Yeah. I've been forced to listen to that story a hundred times, but I can't remember the details. So let's do it. Let's get it. Let's get it pinned down. Yeah. We were so Irish. I grew up going to Irish festivals like uh-huh. every summer of my youth. All of my cousins like did step dancing, and I was the first one so cool. like the of my like yeah. generation and the generations above me who was not sent to the Catskills in the summers to work in the Irish resorts that were there for like wow. the, the poor Irish, you know, you'd go yeah. and work and that way you'd connect with your Irish roots and everything. My brother was the last of them. Yeah. Uh, he was five years older than me. Uh, so I, I just feel like this is like a real homecoming and I feel very welcomed by the podcast. So, okay. Well, Yay. thank you. Excellent. Yeah. No, it's funny. Cause I was like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know whether or not you were Irish. And I was like, I was like, what's the name? Probably. I was like, oh, I'll be fine either way. It's going to be my history. full name is <laughs> Hugh Otumi Peter Ryan. I am very Irish. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that would have that would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's like so much I, I wish I really knew how to say. And one day I'll know how to say about about how Irish and identity is like represented in American culture. And like, like you're talking about like growing up step dancing and stuff. And and on one level, it's kind of like you know, okay, well, the the things that, you know, my Irish family would talk about all this Irish stuff, but wouldn't talk about the Irish language, wouldn't talk about Irish politics. We wouldn't talk about the fact that, like, my great-grand, my great-great-uncle who we met who fought in the Easter Rising and went to his 100th birthday party in Galway and did not talk about politics. I didn't know that he fought in the Easter Rising until I was a very much an adult. And, like, and so there's all of this stuff that just, like, wouldn't, you know, it's like like American version of Irishness is often just the cultural elements and not the political elements, um, certainly because it would be very inconvenient for us as uh, colonizers in North America to really grapple with what it means to be, you know, yeah. colonized. And as migrants, I mean, the Irish yeah. uh, were probably the biggest European country to be sending out refugees and asylum seekers for generations yeah and now those same people are sometimes chanting close the borders and saying like offensive shit like my family came over the right way and i'm like when your family came over my family came over there were no immigration laws stopping the irish from coming so no no it is not comparable yeah totally yeah and i it there's just so much and i i I wish i knew how to you know and i I think we're, we're touching on some of it but one day, one day, figure out how to talk about all this shit. And I think it's true. I think there's something really interesting for me, at least. I really appreciate being Irish because Irish history in the U.S. is a history of migration, colonization, and um, a, a, a tangential or contested relationship to whiteness. And while yeah. that's all historical, right? Irish right. people today, they're definitely white. They are not, you know, uh, uh, Irish and Americans, uh, not a colonized people. And I, I think yeah. that having that um, experience threaded through my family and the stories that I was told made, I, I mean, I was raised, they would never have said this, but I was raised with an anti-colonial outlook that was very strong in both my grandmother and my uh, parents. My mother actually ended up, when I was a a kid, she went back to school to get a PhD in education. She worked with uh, kids who we would today say were autistic, but mm-hmm. they said they had emotional disabilities when she was doing it. 
And for her PhD dissertation, she ended up studying how the Catholic Church ruined education in Ireland. Uh, <laughs> so for her, it was like that education about colonization for the generation above her, they had clung to the church, right? Right. And and she then takes that angle and turns it on the church. Yeah, that rules. Yeah. And so for me, I feel like I grew up, I, I didn't have words like anti-colonial. And these mm-hmm. anti-colonial struggles that I learned about weren't connected to a broader sense of an anti-colonial project. And my, my grandmother, like I said, who I, I shared a bedroom with till I was 16, she was a Republican. Though mm-hmm. politics weren't important to her in that sense. She didn't talk about it a lot in the same yeah. way you're, you're starting talking about. Yeah. But it still meant that when I started to encounter like post-colonial and anti-colonial thinkers, you know, like when I started reading Edward Said and Friends Fanon and all of these mm-hmm. folks who I didn't encounter until college, it made so much sense on a certain level. And yeah. it also complicated everything else I'd learned, right? Because I learned so much about how, you know, the, the Irish became white and the Irish saved civilization and, and all of yeah, these, you yeah. know, really creepy Easy answers and, that are, yeah, not, yeah. 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 Great. I was just being like, man, I don't know how to grapple with it. And you just, uh, that's, uh, thank you. <laughs> that's really useful. Well, I'm lucky. I've got a real simple family tree. It's Ireland and then more Ireland and then more Ireland and then Ireland. And then like one Scottish guy we don't talk about. <laughs> well, you know, because I feel like there's this uh, uh, exploding brain growing level of understanding where like the like the simple small brain one is like Ireland and Scotland are sort of the same. They're just gales or whatever, you know? And then you're like, what are you talking about? They're incredibly different countries and blah, 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 blah. And then like reading this, I'm like, the Glasgow's came over for summer break to go fight in Ireland. Half the Irish rebels are just Scottish people. Yeah. um, The moment where I learned that there were like three Gaelics and what was like Scots and Irish, I was like, oh. Oh, these, yeah. these countries are actually really yeah. closely connected. Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to to hear more of you talking about not this at all, do you have any any books out that people could go and, and find? I, I, I do have, you know, one or two. If folks were mm-hmm. looking, if they want to learn about the queer history of Brooklyn when Brooklyn was queer, if they mm-hmm. want to learn about abolition and how it is central to our modern queer politics, how queer black women and trans masculine folks help develop Greenwich Village as we know it today, how in fact a prison radically transformed queer history in America, they can pick up my new book, The Women's House of Detention. And if anyone just wants to hear me talk about all of this shit and a million other things, I have a Patreon and I just post there whenever I'm thinking about something. Mostly it's queer history, but you never know. It might be a picture of my cat or the book I'm reading right now. And if you want to see People, if you want to see anti-trans people get triggered, they can follow you on Twitter. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I, I, I've sort of like, um, I, I've stepped back a little bit from Twitter because there are only oh, so okay. many like moronic turfs that I can throw myself against on a regular basis, yeah. and it's, I feel like I take a specific group. Like I have decided that the, um, like the white gay men who think they know everything about gay history because once they watched a single movie mm-hmm. and are now like going to tell you about like who is and is not a woman and what, how the, like, you know, gay people. But those are the people I'm like, those are mine. That's my ministry. Let me, let me take them, fight with them, destroy them and show them how they're wrong. But the rest of the, the rest of Turf <laughs> Island, someone else has got to take care of. But those ones, they just really stick in my cross. So I send them my way. As a trans woman, I specifically appreciate you doing that work among like cis gay men. So I I truly feel it is my work. It is absolutely important. And like uh, I can do it. And they're fucking morons. And often all it 
takes to like really show them how stupid, well, show everyone else how stupid they are, is to let them talk to me for like six seconds because inevitably they say something that is so historically stupid. Yeah. Just absolutely. I got into a, one of them, fight with one of them on Twitter, and uh, he was like, I'm old enough to remember when the Stonewall riots, there were no trans people involved. And I was like, I'm going to give you every citation. The first book, the first article, the first any <laughs> single thing written about Stonewall. And you're going to see that there are trans women in every single one yeah. of them. There you go. It took yeah. me about three minutes. He still wouldn't back down. But I felt like that's my role, to yeah. publicly humiliate these people. I appreciate that. and uh, I mostly do it for my entertainment, but I'm glad that you appreciate it yeah. also. <laughs> well, thanks everyone so much. Sophie, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, my really good friend Jimmy Loftus has a book called Raw Dog that is a... Uh, available for pre-order right now. So check out our socials and pre-order yeah. the book, Raw Dog. It comes out in May. It's about hot dogs. And you have a book that's available for pre-order too, don't you, Margaret? I do. It's called Escape from Insel Island. And mm-hmm. it is available from Strangers in the Tangled Wilderness for pre-order. It's tangledwilderness.org. And it's very oh, short. Yeah. If you have a short attention span, it won't take you all that long to read. It's a novella, which is a short book. Yahoo. <laughs> short books, long podcasts. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. I just want to say, like, look, it is so exciting to get to sit down and chat with someone who just wants to talk about history. I fucking love this shit. It is nerdy and weird and wonderful. And also, I don't know, this is just maybe, you know, too much for the podcast. You want to cut it out, go right ahead. But like, it's really nice to reconnect and to feel like someone who I met in my life 15 years ago in a totally different place in a different moment as we were the cranky old people even then <laughs> at a convergence. Yeah. And to be crankier and older and still doing this shit, like, it just, it feels good. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you. I met I met Hugh at the first, when I first finally admitted that I was queer and I was dating my first boy. It was before I admitted I was trans. I, I met Hugh in that context at a con- conference. That's not the right yeah, phrase. Convergence, convergence. That awful black and pink no no it was bashback oh god bashback fuck yeah oh my god yeah All right. well we will talk to you all well some of us will next Monday and thanks thanks for listening bye y'all bye Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media for more podcasts from Cool Zone Media visit our website coolzonemedia.com Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. 
For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.